This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Are you an alumnus of an evangelical college or university? Or have you ever wondered what attending or working at one of those schools is like? The Chapel Probation Podcast brings you the stories from students, faculty, and administration who experienced all the racism, the queerphobia, the misogyny, and purity culture weirdness that are kind of the hallmarks of these schools. I'm Scott Okamoto, author of Asian American Apostate, Losing Religion and Finding Myself at an Evangelical University, which tells my story of teaching English at an evangelical school and realizing I didn't believe in God or the Bible anymore. I created Chapel Probation as a compliment to my book, but this podcast has become its own community of people who have stories of hurt and pain and stories of triumph during and after their time at evangelical schools. Some of the guests you've probably heard of, but most of them you probably haven't. But all the stories are incredible examples of surviving Christian schools and finding ourselves. You can find Chapel Probation wherever you listen to podcasts, and I hope you'll join us. All right. Okay. Welcome to the Thereafter Podcast, a place where we explore life on the other side of faith change. We're here to break down the binaries, deconstruct the dualities, and wander through what it looks like to live in the gray. In church, we were told that life after leaving would be a bitter wasteland of unfulfilling hedonism, but we've discovered quite the opposite. There's actually a vibrant community of people on the other side of faith who are finding and co-creating space for hope and healing. Come along as we explore the all too often uncharted expanse of evangelicalism, evolving faith, and the life thereafter. Welcome, everyone. It's almost Thanksgiving. It is. It's that weird holiday that I feel like we just don't know what to do with anymore, but it's still on the calendar, and so we buy turkey and see people. It's no nobody <laughs> wants to celebrate like the the reason for the season, and everyone's like the food, but it's like kind of yeah. like but the genocide. It's 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 weird. It yeah, but um. Maybe take a minute to listen to a couple of your favorite podcasts while you have some time off work this yes. week. Yeah, take advantage of the time. It's a short week, which is always tough for me at work because it's like it's hard to like get motivated to do anything in a three day week because you're like, oh, we're gonna be off soon. <laughs> yeah, well, so I'm doing my best. It's so interesting because I my kids were supposed to have Wednesday off. And after their teachers went on strike at the beginning of the school year, they shortened their Thanksgiving break. They shortened their winter break. I was like, oh, man, I, they needed that strike, and I'm really glad for them. But I also feel like they kind of got a little bit of punishment there for taking that's away some right. of their days off. That's right. I forget you guys have been going through that because that's been just in your area up there. Well, but- in Portland, it was on one. I don't know. I don't even know if it's back yet. But it, they they were on one, the Portland public, for a while. So. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, yep. I hope teachers get everything they deserve. They, I know they won't get everything they deserve because they deserve way more than they they are even close to being given. But I yeah. definitely stand stand with them. But it's tough. It's tough for parents in those situations too. I know how it is with my kiddo out. Um, I get the flexibility to kind of hybrid remote work, but not everyone has that, and it can be really tough. So yeah. I could do a whole podcast about, about <laughs> teaching, but yeah, alas. anytime we talk education, I'm like, I, I have things I could say, but Megan could say them with way more intelligence. Uh, well, and it would be like therapy, but <laughs> it, let's move on. I know we've mentioned the event that we have coming up, but I want to talk a little bit more about it um, just because. I, I don't know about you, Cortland, but I'm getting really excited. People are starting to text me like, I booked my flight and I'm heading out and I've seen some people sign up on the virtual side and I'm pumped. I was looking at flights last week and I didn't buy them and I should have. Yeah, this <laughs> and is I'm, the story I'm, of your life. The story of my <laughs> life because I was like, wow, there was like non-shitty airline. Like this was not like Spirit. This was like Alaska or something that that – had great deals and I was like I gotta buy these and then I totally forgot so tonight after we get off this call I'm gonna buy my flights because I'm definitely gonna be there and uh it's gonna be awesome it's in February can you say the dates because I forget them 17th and 18th okay and one thing that I want to say because um we uh, the price is 100 bucks to come it's our low price point it'll build as the time goes on but I, I do want to give a little bit of context about what that entails because as a community, we feel – or as you know folks in our community and the spaces that we share, as we've had conversations, it feels like there's a little bit of discomfort with being in events in church spaces. And so it was pretty important for us to rent out a venue that would accommodate us and could be a facility for us to use that was just kind of a, for lack of a better term, agnostic space or like not tied to like very, you know, specific affiliation. And so part of that cost goes to that. Our collaborators are getting a small stipend, but they're paying for travel. They're paying for to come out. And so um, I just wanted to kind of put out there that this is not an event where we're trying to bank a big big profit from. It's just uh, we put a price on there that would cover the cost of putting on the event, of having the venue, and also maybe pulling in some karaoke as part of it and and um, just piecing together all of what we need for the weekend. And then I'm hoping that if that price um, has barriers, that, that virtual option too, because we do know travel and housing isn't something that everyone can come out and do, but we have that virtual option because we want as many people that want to be a part of this to be able to access the space and, and join in and jump in. So I'm yeah. excited about that. The cost, the cost uh, to the event, contentwarningevent.com. You can go check out the cost. As Megan said, like up through December, it's the lowest price, and then it goes up a little bit as procrastinators like myself uh, wait to buy tickets. This is this is cost that we're all sharing. We're all chipping in to create the event. It is not a for profit, right? So no one's profiting, profiting, <laughs> no one's profiting <laughs> off this event. This is not a making money thing. 
But as Megan said, having a venue, having some of the things that we are going to provide um, while we're all there, making sure that it's big enough for everyone to be um, safe and, and spaced, making sure that we have spaces that people can um, go and have conversation, making sure that uh, it can be virtual and we can make it accessible for those who can't attend in person. All of those things cost money. And so that's where the money comes in. But we just want to be very clear, transparent, upfront about that. Um, and we really want to passionately invite everyone who listens to the podcast and who knows, you know, some of the folks that are organizing and collaborating on this event. We want you to come and, and, hang out with us. I, I've talked to Megan some about like so many of the people that I'm inviting are also creators in this space. Um, yeah, because 100%. that's so many of my friends are people who, uh, are also creating so many of the people who listen to this podcast, you have blogs, you have podcasts, you have, um, you're putting, creating content on Instagram, whatever it might yeah, be. If you have a Twitter profile, you're, you're a creator. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not to say that, that, you have to be a creator to attend this event, but we really want to invite people to come and join in the conversation who feel like they might have something to say, um, even though they're not billed on the website, right? Like, because this is not about coming and sitting at the feet of anybody. This is about coming and like building community, having relationship conversations and learning from each other and getting to know each other. So I just want to make sure that it's framed in that way and that anybody who's checking it out um, sees it through a little bit of a different lens like we intend versus it being seen as like some sort of conference. Because that's not Well, yeah, and I think just like in our clubhouse discussions, I always we, we always like throw out a question and then the discussion just goes in all different directions. And everyone that joins in that conversation is what shapes the discussion. And I really feel like this is going to be an event where the people who attend are going to take part in what that event looks like. And that's not to mean that you're going to have like forced participation in anything. Cause I do have my introverted friends that are like, can I just come and sit quietly and just kind of listen and learn and soak up knowledge? Yes. You, you absolutely, if that's your jam, you can do that. But we really want to make this more of a collaborative setting where I, I like to, instead of saying attendees, I like to say participants. Cause I feel like there's opportunities for discussion and to hear from folks that are coming. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's a great, great framing. And if, if you've seen, if you follow Chrissy Stroop on any of the social socials, she just put out uh, an interview that her and I did, um, about this event and about some of the shame-based stuff that's coming out in evangelicalism and, and kind of healing from that and moving forward. And so we talked a lot about, um, that context behind this event too. Speaking of slaying shame. <laughs> yeah, I know. What do you're we have say. any? Do we have anything else before? I think it's a great intro into uh, who we get to hang out with today on the pod. I know. I'm so excited. I loved this interview. Yeah, I, let's just dive in. I, the, you know, the shame slaying, hip swaying. <laughs> it's funny. We were like, should we talk about the conversation around spanking that's been going on on Twitter? And then we were like, let's not. Let's. What if we just don't? And I love this. Let's just let's just jump into the interview because why spend time in that shit, right? Let's just go. Let's just jump in. Let's jump We've in. We've tweeted we... about it. We've said our bit. 
we've got Flamey Grant on the show today, yeah. and it was such a lovely conversation. She really needs no introduction, but um, if you have not yet heard of Flamey, uh, we're going to be so excited to introduce you to her today through this interview. Let's dive in. All right. Another episode of the Day After Podcast. Of course, Megan's here. I'm Cortland, in case you don't know what show you're listening to. Um, and I'm not the only one here. We have Flamey Grant we today. Do. Oh my gosh. I hate her. Get her off the show. <laughs> uh, oh my. Wow. Flamey, it is so good to have you here. So excited. Yes. I'm so happy to be here. It's I've been I've had a delightful time watching y'all from afar these many years and then uh, just got to meet you both recently in person, and now here we are, finally doing our little chat. I know, and I have a complaint about our meeting because I wanted to buy a vinyl <sighs> from you, and you had just sold your very last one. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought Megan was going to hunt someone <laughs> down in the parking lot. She was like, somebody's got one here. <laughs> I'm going to find it. Well, I so I do have, uh, there's, a, there's a new batch coming in. Um, they won't Ooh. be here till January, unfortunately, but they are coming. So I will set one aside for you so that we can make sure that you get it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, before we kind of dive into all the things, I would love for you to give our listeners just a little bit of context of, you know, your upbringing, kind of um, the the... What flavor of evangelicalism were you raised in? <laughs> the quick and dirty on how um, the origin yeah. story. Cherry lime. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite kind. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, uh, technically, my flavor was called Plymouth Brethren. But we're not really known by that name out in the wild. If you see our churches, um, I say our, like I'm still involved. I have not been there in 20 years. Um, if you see these churches in the wild, they're typically called like a Bible chapel or a gospel chapel. Like that's the name on the sign, but it's a, it's a very, um, it's about as fundamentalist as you get before you, you, um, you know, completely remove yourself from society and become Amish, I guess. I don't know what the next step would be. It's, it's very, patriarchal women don't speak in church they cover their hair um it's you know l like much of evangelicalism it's cult-like in terms of how much um uh, pressure is put on to conform and the consequences for not conforming are pretty dire in terms of being you know, basically evicted from fellowship within the community kind of thing so it's 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 just that. Do you, you meet know, just... other people from that? So I feel like we've had one other person, at least on the podcast, that came from Plymouth oh Brethren, Brethren. And I can't remember if it was Matthew Paul Turner or if it was, that's the name that's coming to mind, but I don't know if oh, he I feel was. Like, I feel like I would know if Matthew Paul Turner were... were, um, were I'm going to have to go back and re-listen. This is where transcribing all our episodes would be wonderful because I could just type yeah. it in and find oh, it. I know, right? Just do a search. But I feel like we've yeah, maybe met I, one um, other person, but it's it's got to be pretty small. It's, yeah, I meet them rarely, very rarely, but in fact, actually, I was just at a show in Seattle, and I was talking about this <laughs> in front of everybody, and because, you know, who doesn't want to talk about their religious trauma in front of a room full of people, um, and somebody in the front row, I was like, you know, has anybody ever heard of this, and I, of course, I expected nothing, because no one ever raises their hand, and somebody in the front row was like, oh, yeah, 
um, I was closed, closed assemblies, which there were open assemblies and closed assemblies. Open assembly was what I was, which was technically the more, um, like, what, what's the word? Not progressive, but like, I, it, is I, it like the delineation between like, in, what is it? Um, Southern Baptist and then the IFB kind of thing. It, yeah. Like. <laughs> Like it's all bad, right? It's all very bad. Like, mm-hmm. but we 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 were open in that like anybody could still come to our meetings and take the Lord's Supper, take communion, mm. um, as long as they you know professed to be Christian and you know met certain criteria or whatever. But closed assemblies, you like it was exclusive. Just like it was very exclusive, yeah. Mm. So, and I don't even know what those were like because I didn't go to them growing up. So. The fact that I met, not only met someone else who was Plymouth Brethren, but like was from the more conservative version of Plymouth Brethren. I was like, what? Crazy. The world is small. The world is small. Mm -hmm. So. And when did things start to shift for you? That was my next question. (sighs) Let's see. um, Last week, I think, actually. (laughs) uh... It's a good answer. It's a good answer. I love this. Oh, my word. I, um. So yeah, I, I started to realize, I think in college that my, my church world was weird because I would bring friends home, you know, from college and take them to my church and they would be, you know, they they would leave with a traumatized look in their face. And I was like, what? It's just, this is normal, right? Doesn't everybody do this? And, um, so I, I honestly, after I left for college, I never went back like full time to that, to that church. I, college was my gateway into like ever so slightly more progressive, um, theology and, and thinking and just other denominations in general. I, I dabbled in Presbyterianism in college and then, um, and then I moved to, I know just such a rebel. Um, and then I moved to, uh, Reno, Nevada for a couple years where I, uh, found my first like non-denominational evangelical church and I was on staff there for a couple years um and then in 2006 moved to San Diego with a team of people from that church to plant a new church in the heathen un, uh, you know ungodly city of San Diego um that desperately needed our our missions work <laughs> and um and yeah from there it was just kind of a a decade of coming out, coming to terms with who I am, um, you know, finally digging into the Bible for myself and discovering that, you know, maybe I'm not condemned to uh, an eternity of torture for uh, liking boys. And um, uh, I would say, well, let's see, probably 10 years ago, I, I was, I found myself in, like, fully out dating and, um, like looking for like the progressive version of Christianity, which I found and and have had kind of been involved in ever since. Okay, tell us. Yeah, tell us about the birth of of Flamey and how well, that started. Um, I would say she was born in pandemic because she really was. But honestly, she's been with me my whole life. I just, um, you know, I I I have memories of getting in trouble getting into my mom's makeup and pulling her clothes out of her closet and trying to play dress up in them as a kid. Um, so I suppressed those impulses for about 35 years, um, out of 
you know, the, the, the usual reason, reasons, shame and fear of punishment and fear of, you know, breaking God's commands and breaking my family's heart and all of that stuff. So, um, but when pandemic finally did come around, I had, I had gone out in drag for the first time for real, um, Halloween of 2019. So I was a Halloween queen. And then I was a quarantine queen because quarantine, you know, uh, isolating at home or sheltering in place or whatever we called it. I can't remember. <laughs> um, uh, started, you know, that, that March. And that was, I had, I had time, you know, like we all had all kinds of time that just had not previously existed because we filled our time by going out and being places and seeing people and we couldn't do those things. So I, um, started messing around with makeup and watched a whole bunch of YouTube makeup tutorials and did a live stream during pandemic with my housemates who are also musicians. And that's where Flamey kind of was born and like developed, I developed her, um, online and, uh, it, it was, it just started as literally the same, the same way I would have done it as a kid, which was just following impulses and following instincts and, um, doing something that made me feel really good and, and doing it for me, you know, like I was in my bedroom with my mirror and I had, at the time I had the Instagram account I had saved when I came up with the name, I like went and saved the Instagram account, the handle, because I was like, oh, that's good, just in case I ever use it. But it was on private. I didn't even tell my husband about it. Like, I would post little pictures of my terrible, um, my terrible makeup that I'm sure are still there if you scrolled all the way to the beginning. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, you know, over time started to interact with people online, and I had a couple viral videos on TikTok, and that was when I realized, oh, all of this um, inner child work, because that's really what it was for me, it, that is, that's healing me and giving me hope and, um, you know, filling my days, uh, it can, it seems to have the power, the capacity to do that same thing for other people. And, because that was the response. It was like people would, would come on my videos and be like, oh my gosh, this makes me feel seen and safe and held and happy. And so I had a little a little switch flipped, you know, and I was like, oh, maybe there's more to this than just me hanging out in my bedroom. Maybe there's something for me to do with this. Maybe there's a ministry because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the church girls, we are, we're always looking for our ministry. That's right. so. The Lord has opened a door. Well, yeah, and I'm curious too, because it's so much more than just I mean, it's style and makeup and so, like, it's such a performance. But also there's songwriting, such beautiful songwriting that's oh, part of you. everything. And and I and I got to experience that when you performed at Theology Beer Camp. But I would love to hear a little bit about how that's evolved, too, because it's super clear that you have so much talent as a songwriter. And putting that all together in your performance, it's like, it's like the whole package, right? And so I'm curious just how, how you've evolved in, in that, because your song, your songwriting has exploded just recently. And I, I want to get to a little bit more of some of the recent events, but I'm just curious, like when you started, did it start that way? Were you writing your own music? Were you covering songs? And just kind of, I, I'm just curious, like how that, how that journey progressed. Yeah, it, it's, it was not, 
it was never like planned or foreseen, you know, it just, um, I mean, I've been a songwriter since I was nine. I wrote my first song, you know, it's, it was a little worship song to Jesus when I was nine years old. And, uh, and I've been writing ever since. Uh, and I've been in a couple bands prior to Flamey and I did, had a little solo, not, I wouldn't call it a career <laughs> solo, but I put out a couple albums under my, my name and, um, and then I've written music for church for years and years as a worship leader. So I've, that's always been a part of my creative output and really where I go to like therapize myself is in songwriting. And, um, but even when I started doing Flamey, like it never occurred to me to bring my music into her voice or have her sing songs. Like we, we were just doing cover songs. Um, those early days of pandemic, we would every Thursday night, we called it Heathen Happy Hour because that was the name of my podcast, which is not active anymore, but um, uh, we called it Heathen Happy Hour and we'd, we'd, we'd sing anywhere from like 15 to 20 cover songs every Thursday night just to 30 people who live streamed with us on the inter internet. And that's how we got through the, the those dark, dark days. Um, but yeah, at some point within that first year, I honestly couldn't even pinpoint when it was or what it was. Um, I mean, one thing that did happen was I went to Wild Goose um, in 21, I think, whatever their first year back was. Um, and we took, basically took our Heathen Happy Hour show there. And we were going to be on one of the little smaller stages or whatever, but then somebody canceled on the main stage. So we got, we got the lucky boot up to the main stage hmm. and... Um, so I was in drag and we had a band and we were just singing mostly our cover songs on, um, like we did, we did an Amy Grant cover song. We did testify to love <laughs> at wild goose <laughs> and, um, <clears throat> and yeah, people came up, up to me and it was just a whole, it felt like a whole thing that, that was happening. And, um, somewhere along the way, I, I just, I got the, brilliant idea to like either write songs in Flamey's voice or I think probably initially I just started pulling from my own catalog of songwriting and finding songs that actually felt like they were probably her voice all along you know I just didn't know she was with me um subconsciously and before I knew it uh we had a full record I was Bible Belt Baby is is the that first record and um it was just supposed to be like a five song EP, just an acoustic thing that my, my housemate Ben, um, who was in that heathen, those heathen happy hour days with me, he's a music producer as well as an artist himself. And I was like, Hey, would you help me produce a little EP for Flamey? And we ran a Kickstarter that did, uh, better than I anticipated. And I was able to then like pay for a, a full album. So I really did like go back in my repertoire and because I was like, I don't have 10 songs like written in Flamey's voice. So I pulled these songs from as far back as 2014. And I was like, wow, she really has been speaking for a long time. I just didn't know. I hadn't, hadn't met her yet. And um, I don't know. The rest has just been gangbusters ever since. I've just, I, I, I it's. I mean, that's definitely my favorite way to write now is in Flamey's voice. It felt like it opened up a whole new, um, just a whole new like posture and, and perspective and um, way to say things that I didn't, I, you know, maybe Matthew wouldn't sing that, but Flamey sure as hell can. So mm. it's it's been really fun. So 
I want to get into like we want to get I want to get into like two aspects of the flamey the Bible Belt baby like ascension to what it has become the phenomenon I guess I would say that is Bible Belt baby. <laughs> uh, two aspects of that one being <laughs> one being the uh, outrage that some have. Uh, uh, presented um i call it fan oh. behavior uh <laughs> it is fan behavior you know uh and uh, which i i would say i call it, i stole really that from semler grace baldridge is always like this is fan behavior that's like their go-to yes. thing um i love it and so i want to talk about that i also want to talk about like the the way in which the music has deeply impacted a lot of people in a positive way Megan talks about seeing you perform at, uh, at not Wild Goose, at uh, Theology Beer Camp when we got to meet and hang out with you. Um, and I can, like, say that we were both, like, trying to, like, she was crying. I was trying to keep her quiet. Oh, we were, yeah. I was crying. <laughs> we were she a was mess like, up in the balcony, <laughs> weeping. It, it, <laughs> in a good way, in all of the best so ways. So much personal impact that happens um, and that has been a part of, of the experience of. Of flamey so can you talk a little bit about both sides of that so which either one you want to start on the the outrage responses and also just the way that people have connected with your music and how you've experienced that as a songwriter and a creator yeah it's i mean it is i feel like it's the difference between like it's like the kinship response versus the like angry stranger response i don't know what to call the outrage but um uh the kinship it, it like that is what happened with i think some of the those TikTok videos that went viral early on in pandemic where I was just like, just for me, it was a realization that drag, you know, the power of drag, you know, and, the, and, and, and I've always, I've, I've known my whole life about the power of songwriting because that's, I mean, again, that's my language. It's, that's how I communicate. It's my art form. And it's also the art I love to consume. You know, I love good songwriting and that's, so I, and I've, I know what it's done for me. Um, in my growth and my journey when I found really just songs that articulate what I'm going through or where I want to be. So I think it was once I recognized that drag has similar capacity, you know, to impact people, it just made sense to, yeah, put them together. And I mean, it's my favorite thing, you know, when somebody, you know, I, actually my favorite favorite thing is when somebody's like a fan of drag and they they like find out about me or whatever and they're like oh like here's this fun campy like christian queen um and then they like get to hear the music and they're like oh like you're an actual songwriter like not yeah like it's not all a gimmick per se um and not to that's not to toot my own horn in any way or anything but I mean I that's like I said I've been I've been doing songwriting much longer than drag so I should be a better songwriter than a drag performer let's 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 put it that way but um so it's nice when that happens and um and I think there's something powerful in being able to go between extremes right like the extreme camp the extreme like absurdity that is drag um and then to also like swing right back into let's go to this really like deeply emotional um let's let's tell a deeply emotional traumatic story through song and um let's let's like revel in our melancholy together because that is that's one of the ways that we heal as human beings right is by 
revisiting and reimagining and um, experiencing our trauma in um, not only in a new light, but also with people who get it. And so I love that about the whole, about everything I, that I do. I love watch, you, you can see it happen sometimes in the audience. Like you can, like, that's what I love watching the mood kind of like have that shift and people have that realization that like, oh, we're, we're feeling things now. <laughs> well, and I love, I, I, I don't know, I, the style in which you performed that night with the kind of in the round, mm. like um, that whole piece that I, I've been to the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. And so that is, it resonated deeply with me. But one of the things that I'm curious about as someone who's been a worship leader uh, just your relationship to worship music and and even maybe CCM music. But I will say that for me, it was when I started deconstructing, I was I was an avid fan. Like I in, in college, I started with the Passion CDs, right? And then I was like moved on to Hillsong and Bethel. And then watching kind of the political landscape and really starting to feel like, wow, some of the people behind this worship music are like, the people that are also behind the insurrection on January 6th, right? And it, like, I really, like, because I am, I, I just had to kind of walk away from a lot of that worship music that I was, like, listening to while I ran and kind of carried me through some hard times. And so when I see worship music that I guess is safe, maybe, is the way, like, it just, it's like all, all of a sudden I enter into this space where I can, I can connect with my spirituality in a new way that I don't have to worry about like are these lyrics gonna mm. lead me into this toxic theological place that I'm shedding you know all these things that I just you know have never really unpacked or, or sat deeply with for a long time and so I'm curious like what has that shift been like for you someone that has been a worship leader and then now your your music is still has a, an element of spirituality but it's moved in such a different direction and and how has that been Ooh, this th yeah this is i love this question um so i'm probably the least worshipy worship leader to ever worship lead right <laughs> like i um i mean the last time i was really into worship music was like how great is our god from chris tomlin like that was probably the last classic worship Worship, right? Yeah, worship record I had bought myself. I hate worship music, y'all. I'm sorry. I hate it. <laughs> I think it's terrible. I think it's trite and repetitive, and it's trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator because, you know, you sing it in on Sunday mornings with a big room full of people, so you're trying to, like, get everybody on the same page, which means you kind of got to be broad. And, and, and to me, that's boring. Um, and I really took it personally. I took a great offense when the contemporary Christian music industry shifted from what I grew up in, which was singer-songwriter music. Yeah. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. we had Margaret Becker, we had Jennifer Knapp, we had Susan Ashton, we had uh, Out of the Gray, you know, like we had such good songwriters, small town poets. Eh, I don't know if they were actually good songwriters, but they were songwriters. Um, uh, you know, like we just had like bands that wrote their own songs and, and artists that, that, told their own stories through their music, right? Bebo Norman. Ugh, come on. Yeah. Um, and, and, oh, um, Megan, Megan's nodding her head along. Megan, like, tries to play like she's not, like, she's got all the WoW CDs. She was at Cornerstone every year. Girl, like, yes. Meg, 
I, can I just, I, I have to slip this in. I know you're in the middle of answering a question, but my high school boyfriend burned a Bebo Norman CD for me and blurred out the image on the front mm-hmm. because he was Too worried handsome. that he was so attractive that I, I would really lust after Bebo Norman oh instead God. of, that's a, that's a, you know, I mean, I would, ha- right I would have, so like, yeah, I'm, I did. It, it was Bebo Norman and Clay Cross. Did you remember Clay Cross? I don't oh, I remember know. Clay I Cross. I'll have to look this yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Go, go look him up. Look up uh, Clay Cross' Time to Believe. That was the record. He's posing, like, sultry, and he's got this slicked back hair. It's great. Um, anyway, okay. uh, all that to say, I loved that stuff. I loved getting to know the artists that I was listening to. And, and, and you do that by because they tell their stories and they get vulnerable. Worship music is not that. It's, like, the antithesis of that. It's this you know, vertically oriented songwriting that tells you nothing about your yourself or who you are, or, or uh, you know, nothing good anyway, other than I'm a wretch and, like, thank goodness there's a, you know, a interposed savior to, you know, give me access to God. I just, it, it just, oh, I just hate it so much. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> have I gotten that point across I, yet? I feel you. Um, <laughs> Um, so, and that is unfortunately like the bulk of CCM now. That's pretty much what you're going to find on contemporary Christian music charts now is just worship albums. And, um, so as a worship leader, you know, I was not listening to, especially the past decade, I was not listening to like worship music that was coming out and people would come to me and be like, oh my gosh, can we please do this worship song? at church and you know I, I was it was a very progressive uh inclusive affirming church in San Diego and I I would listen to it and I'd be like no that's awful we're not doing that we're gonna do pink songs instead we're gonna do this dolly song that has something to say we're gonna do nice. like um you know the uh 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 greatest showman soundtrack like you know like anything I could bring into Sunday mornings that you know, was just not like uh, I don't know your love is extravagant over and over again. You know, I, I, I just needed, I needed music that was going to work for me. And I had, I was the person with power in that scenario. So I was able to like make those decisions. And I think, I, th- I feel pretty confident that like our church was good with it and on board and people seemed to like, I mean, I don't know. They didn't kick me out of my volunteer worship leader position for eight and a half years. So I assume they liked it. Um, anyway, all that to say, when I when I finished putting together Bible Belt Baby and like kind of stood back and looked at it as a whole, all ten songs, I was like, this feels so much like a '90s CCM record to me. Like, it's telling a spiritual journey. It's telling, uh, it's talking about a salvation. It's not the salvation you know that evangelicals want to talk about, but it was how I was saved from evangelicalism, basically. <laughs> and um, and it's just this like. It's, it's got its joyful, like, exuberant, like, moments of, like, victory and, like, overcoming. And then it has, like, it goes to the dark night of the soul, too, which is everything I loved in a record. And so that's kind of why I was like, yeah, this is a CCM record, at least as defined in 1998. <laughs> and I know it's not 1998 anymore, but I'm I'm still going to release this in that, in that Christian genre. And, um... So, yeah, my, my relationship to, to worship music... It, it, is that like I the, the couple songs on there um, good day and I am not ashamed are both songs that I did write for our church before like pre flaming um, and we we sang those in our church so they do have that feel of like a congregational um, 
sing-along thing. Um, but, I don't know, I guess Good Day is probably com comes the closest to, like, matching the vibe of worship music today. But even it has kind of... It, it's not vertical, right? It's more like um, horizontal. It's, connect, it's like the, mm. the lyrics are, are talking to your fellow, like, Christians or your fellow people in church with you and, like, the... Like, kind of trying to um, call out a, a better path forward together, um, in a, you know, envisioning a future where everyone is included and, and people aren't um, traumatized for being who they are in church. So, I would say, a... I would say it's music that puts you in your body versus takes you out of your body, right? Like, mm, it's, I love that. It's putting you, it's connecting you with the experience of being here and in your body and ah. not trying to take you somewhere else. Ooh, I'm taking that to the bank. I love that. <laughs> it, it's, it's so true. And I, I have just, I've described it before as being, um, yeah, like not, not asking the congregation to look up and look vertical, but to look within, uh, and, and, and maybe to look yeah. around as well and like connect to other hearts and souls in the room. Um, so yeah, I love that. It's, it makes you, it puts you in your body as a, as opposed to taking you out. I love it. Thank you. This explains why we were like having therapy. <laughs> we were having you. an experience, <laughs> Megan and I, in the back aisle of the church, watching you play, and uh, oh. I think it was it was being in a church too. Like that whole weekend when we started, um, Megan was like, "This is in a church." <laughs> like we didn't think it was, and then we were both like, "Ooh, how are we gonna do? We're gonna spend all weekend here in this church." Because right? um, it's called the the venue is called the, the venue. venues, <laughs> so. I, I thought that too. I was like, "Oh, it's going to be some cool hip." Nope. Nope. It was a church, which is it, <laughs> it was, was a church. It was awesome, but like it was there was a lot of reclaiming happening uh, for yeah. us um, in that experience, which which ties right in to what what you're doing. And I don't want to spend a ton of time. I do want to just highlight the outrage. I want to highlight the, a little bit because I think oh, it's right. important yeah. to talk about. Um, but I, I forgot don't, to get to that. I don't want to make that the point. Um, but I think it's a it's an important piece along the way because I love to see how the Lord uses what was intended for evil for good. Um, <laughs> that was sad so tongue in cheek a little bit. We're at the point. Is that are we at the point in the episode where we talk about Sean Foy? Is that what? <laughs> Wait, is happening we gotta here? bleep that out. Hold on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that whole thing <laughs> um gosh it's so funny to me still that I don't know the further away I get from that mindset the the harder it is for me to understand although I, I tr you know I can remember you know also thinking looking at the world through that lens but it's really hard to understand the impulse to be so angry at other people's joy and expression and just being themselves right like it's it's such a strange response to me um but that is the response very frequently um and you know we know this not even just from my story but just in general in america right now there's so many people who are just, have latched onto drag and to trans folks as just this like thing that they can like point to as being the source of everything they think is wrong in the world and or a symptom, at least, of everything that they think is wrong in the world. And um, so, yeah, I've gotten my fair share. Sean Foyt was kind of the first big one um, over the summer. Um, I, I had the delightful privilege and pleasure of playing uh, Derek Webb's album release show in Nashville. 
and uh, took a picture with him and uh, Tiffany from Plum and, and Jen Knapp was there. So the four of us, it was like, when I posted it, I said, one of these things is not like, or, not like the other. Or, one of these things is not a 90s Christian rock star like the others. Um, <laughs> uh, and I, that the, the picture made, it, made the rounds, I guess, and got in front of Sean. And he, what did he say? Um, this is, he said, this is the end goal of deconstruction. Uh, you know, a drag queen collaborating with a Christian artist, which just shows how much research he did, because technically in that scenario, I was the Christian artist, and Derek Webb is not anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, if we're just going to get technical about it, but whatever. Um, he uh, he said, it's these are truly the last days, or something like that. And I was like, oh, end, end goal? No, baby, we're, this, we're just getting started with this. And um, so then he came back and said, well, it's a good thing no one listens to you or knows who you are or whatever. And so Derek and Tiffany and Jen and I were all kind of texting uh, on, a, on a thread together while this was all going down. And Derek was like, like, he's got 100,000 followers or whatever it is on Twitter. Like, you could really take this to the bank. You could really, like, use this to your favor. Like, how, how can we? And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I, I have a, he's, he's a, worship leader and for those of you listening i'm using air quotes <laughs> he's a <laughs> he sean's a worship leader and i was like i have a technical what is technically a worship song because we it was written for a church and we sang it in church on my album that has already been out for 10 months let's just see let's see what happens if um you know and i was definitely inspired by similar as well and, and seeing what similar had done and going i think at this point they had gone to the top of the christian charts twice already so i knew it was possible with enough of a online support um and but you know similar's fan base was much bigger than mine at that point um so it was it felt like a a gamble um rolling the dice and um but i was like let's just go let's go on to tiktok and make this video and just let people know what's happening that there's this like maga self-described maga worship leader um who is kind of like you know just being a, a real pill um and and being wouldn't it be foit. nice yeah being a real foit and wouldn't it be nice if we could see a drag queen on the christian charts like what would what what kind of message would that send uh, in terms of representation that might be a cool thing and i you know like i said i thought it was a roll of the dice i was like this could really flop i could look real stupid tomorrow morning but people came through and the next morning when i woke up it was already at number four the song was at number four and then by the end of, end of the day it had hit number one and so ever since then awesome. um that the hate from the not just like the general like internet hate but like the the big backlash stuff that you guys are talking about like the greg locks and the uh, matt walsh's you know like it's the, that level of um conservative eyeballs on what i'm doing and um so it's they're they mad they real mad I, or big mad that's what the kids say right I I love that that because I hadn't had iTunes on my phone I downloaded iTunes to buy that uh, single and then that album um, I think and, it was I think you and everyone else like it was just like we were all like how do I do this and the last time <laughs> the last time that I had iTunes on my phone the only thing I had on there that it had ever was the U two album that was like forcefully oh, thrust yeah. upon us. 
So anytime <laughs> I, I would about that. get into my car and hook to Bluetooth, if I didn't have Spotify open, it would play U2. And now <laughs> if I get in my car and I don't have Spotify open, it plays Flamey Grant because you're higher in the alphabet. So U yes. are what comes on in my car <laughs> when I hook to Bluetooth unprepared. And it's great. And I'm grateful for it. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for doing going that extra mile to download iTunes. <laughs> Um, I'm curious because, and I, and it's, it's now it's connecting for me because having somebody like Sean Foyt and, and the, I guess, fan base, follower base, whatever base goes after him, be the people that he kind of sends your way makes sense for the types of comments that I see sometimes on your posts. Mm. But I'm curious as an artist and as a creator, and I ask similar questions like this to, to other people that have come on the podcast, but. What is it like to not to be able to do your work and your art and create be creative, but also always have to be advocating for to be seen and to be heard and for yourself and for for drag and and it's like okay like could, do you ever just think can I just put out an album please and, and not have to have this big battle you know. Yeah. All the time. I, I, I've said that exact thing to so many of my close friends. I'm like, why does every day have to be a... Like, why does my existence mean I have to be an activist and an advocate and all of that stuff? And, and you know, at the same time, I'm more than happy to do it because I do feel like I'm actually pretty well suited for it. It's, um, I I don't know, I'm, I'm an Enneagram 8. Uh, if we're still talking Enneagram, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and, that's and, um, uh, so I just have that kind of like Teflon-y personality where if I don't know you, like you can say whatever, you can talk all kinds of shit about me. I, I, I do not care. Um, if somebody I know, like wants to critique me, then I will crumble. But if I don't know who you are, um, it just, it, it really does is, you know, I'm Jinx Monsoon, water off a duck's back. Um, and... Uh, but yeah, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting work and it's, um, I've had to recalibrate a lot over the past few months as I've learned how to navigate it because I used to get it on a, on a small scale. Right. And I would have fun with it. I really would like it. I, it was part of my daily practice to like go in and like troll the trolls. Um, and, um, I've always, I've always had a good time with that, but then when it, it became, you know, when it was Greg Locke doing it and like all of, and when, when people of that who have that much of a following then inspire their hundreds of, or tens or whatever, tens of thousands of people to like come for me, it, get, it, it got overwhelming. And I was like, and I was still behaving the same way I was when I was, you know, getting two comments a day or like whatever. Um, so I was still trying to engage with it. And I finally got to the point where I was like, and this has just been in the past couple of months, where I, I I was like, I have in my comments, you know, let's, let's say there's 100 comments. 98 of them are, you know, wonderful, like, like people who are, are, are doing the, my gosh, your music makes me feel seen and safe. And I love what you're doing. And I support you. And I think it's great. And then like the two two people are coming, coming for me, but I was spending my time on those two people, like trying to, um, you know, get my dig in. And, um, I, I, I look at it as like a, 
I want other people to see when I interact with the trolls that the trolls don't have power, right? Like I want to, I want to take the wind out of their sails, like deflate their balloon and just be like, this is, these people are silly and we don't need to pay them any attention while I'm paying them attention, right? So I've had to just kind of think about that a lot for myself and be like, I would, I, I need to shift my focus and like communicate more with the people who are connecting with what I'm doing and less with the people who are coming for it. And um, I don't know, I feel like that's made a big difference for me personally um, over the past few weeks. I, because I really was getting, I, I'm Teflon, but it doesn't mean that your mental health doesn't take a little bit of a nosedive when you spend all day, um, tr you know, trying to combat that type of anger um, and, and disgust for who you are. Um, so... I don't know. That's been my personal journey with it. Like more, more blocking, less interacting, and then just um, making sure that I'm taking to heart all the good comments because they're there every day. And it, and that ugh, the DMs, the emails I get from people who just tell me they're it's a lot of trauma dumping. I'm not gonna lie. Like <laughs> that comes, <laughs> it comes with the territory. Yep. But. Um, you know, when I'm in a, the headspace to receive it, it's so meaningful to hear people's stories and know that the, the, the whole point of what I do is like, is, I mean, I call myself the, the shame slaying, hip slaying, singing, songwriting, drag queen, right? Like slaying shame for me is it. Like that's the mission right there. There's, there's no good purpose for shame. It doesn't serve us in any way. It only serves to disconnect us and isolate us and make us feel um, alone in what we're going through. And so any chance I get to, like, see shame shrink a little bit, like, I love it. I, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to, I know we're, we're not quite to the end here, but we're coming towards it. And I want you to talk a little bit um, about the next project because I, as a proud and excited backer of your incoming, uh, project would like for others to join. I know I assumed you just launched this and I assumed that we were going to be like, help Flamey get to her goal. Uh, and of course in like 24 hours, you blew it out of the water um, but there's still more to go and more people can join with you. So would you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I thought that too. I th <laughs> I've done a few, I've done a few Kickstarters in my day and they have always been nail biters, you know, and like just kind of clawing to the finish line, trying to make sure you hit that goal. Um, cause if you're not familiar with Kickstarter, it's an all or nothing model. So you either hit your goal you get people to pledge enough money to meet your goal um by the end of whatever your deadline is um or if you don't then nobody gets charged and you make no money and your project is dead in the water so um i had you know i, I had geared up i'm i'm good at kickstarters like i uh, everyone i've ever done has been successful um I'm, i was also a fundraiser in my day job for years and years i worked in nonprofit fundraising and development so like it's a world I know and, um, but it's exhausting and it is all consuming and a Kickstarter really does become your life for the month that you're running it. 
And so I was prepared to spend my, my November and half of my December doing that. Um, like basically that, that was going to be my holidays this year. Right. And, uh, my God, I just feel like it's been, I feel like I got a month of my life back and it's so insanely heartening and I, I, I'm, I'm, I still don't know what to make of it, but yeah, it got, it got funded and I, it was less than 48 or I maybe mean, it was 48 hours and change or something. It was like, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't three full days. Um, and it was funded and it was wild. Like I, as somebody who's not, <laughs> I'm not a part, like I'm a backer, I'm a $15 backer. Right. So like, I'm a part of it, but like, I don't yeah, have any, are. yeah, I don't have any like stake in this is not my project. I love play me, but like I was like hitting refresh every 10 minutes. Like it was like <laughs> something that I was like, I was like hit refresh, hit refresh all day. I was, it was so fun to watch it just skyrocket. And so many people join in and oh, it become crazy. what, what it, what it, what it is. So we have a new flamey album that's coming well, yeah, soon. Sweet. Oh, I know. It's so great. I'm so excited. I get to like make the album of my dreams, really. Like, I get to go sit in a Nashville studio for a week now and uh, nice. play with, you know, musicians. I, I can afford to pay musicians that I am, you know, uh, people I've wanted to play with for a long time. Like, it's it's so, it's so cool. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, what else to say about that other than I'm just so freaking grateful. And I had to scramble you know, to get stretch goals together. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, maybe if I hit the target with enough time left, we'll come up with some stretch goals. And I had a couple ideas in mind, but I hadn't thought seriously about stretch goals. And I was like, uh, okay, well there's 28 days of fundraising left and we've, we've hit the goals. So what do I do now? Um, so yeah, we've, I think we've got some pretty cool ones. Like I'm real excited. It was actually my friends, uh, my friend Karen's idea to, to do a drag summer camp. And, uh, I mean, you know, similar to like theology beer camp and other things that, that happen in spaces like ours. But, um, the difference is this one is pure entertainment. I am not interested in speakers and like, uh, you know, we're not doing any live podcast recordings, none of it. Like, it's just, you're coming and it's literally going to be summer camp for grownups where nothing is mandatory, but everything's available. And, um, so I don't know. It's, it's a big goal if we get there, but if we do, I'm so excited because it's just going to be drag shows and concerts and like summer camp crafts and activities and games. <laughs> I love that. Can, can the bulk of the programming be just in the evening and then you can sleep in yes. because I feel oh, like yeah. that's, that's the problem with summer camp is you have to get up and be somewhere. At 8 a.m. Yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> nothing early. Like, I don't know. I, 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 what I envision are like, you know, we've got like a, um, oh, you just have like the different game stations. It, things as simple as like cornhole and like, I don't know. I don't know what other games there are. Um, <laughs> uh, and then like, yeah, maybe everybody stumbles out of bed. Then we all have like a late lunch, a brunch or whatever together. And then in the afternoon, you've got like, Maybe on one part of it, you've got someone, like a, a queen who's really good with costuming is going to like help people put together a costume and then um, I'll teach a makeup tutorial class or a wig styling or whatever. Like it'll just be that kind of silly stuff in the afternoon. And then in the evening, we'll do, well, I, I envision three evenings, right? So the first evening will probably be um, 
like I, a concert and I like a more traditional concert and I'll just bring in some of my favorite artists and we'll all play music and then the second evening I feel like is a uh, mix of a talent show and like lip sync for your life kind of situation slash like 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 basically everybody else gets to like perform drag their version of drag um, and there'll be a, it'll be can be like a friendly competition with whatever like prizes or whatever and then um the last night would be like the big drag show where i'm gonna invite all my all of my favorite queens um to come and just have a big show to send it off so yeah so if that excites any of you who are listening the kickstarter's running and and uh let's get it to the the final stretch goal it excites me i'm gonna have to go back we're gonna go back (laughs) (laughs) we're re we're re-upping because uh, yeah, that's exciting and very fun. Megan, I feel like I've asked a lot of questions and talked a lot. Do you have no, anything I, else? Well, okay. I feel like I don't want to wrap up without asking about Amy Grant <laughs> because I feel like part Fair. of Flamey Grant is that you were a fan and are like of Amy Grant and have have you ever connected with her? Has she? Have you ever overlapped with her in any way? Or I know she was recently in the news for um, hosting her, I think, nieces lesbian wedding mm-hmm. and so um a l- l- lot of christians had big feelings about that yeah. and so um a lot of folks deconstructing were pretty excited to see that she was queer affirming yeah. and yeah she um i think she's privately been that way for a very long time and i know she has because there's a there's a facebook group called gay friends of amy grant that's private and um I didn't know it existed until I started doing drag as Flamey Grant and they found me and they were really excited that there was a drag queen who had taken on, you know, who was inspired by Amy's name and they invited me in. And so I've talked to so many people in that group now who have been seeing her for 20 years, you know, and, and who she's always been so like affectionate towards and loving towards and, and, you know, never, never had a homophobic, homophobic bone in her body. But yeah, recently she's made much more public statements, um, uh, the first was on Apple's Proud Radio in the middle of pandemic. Actually, she um, came out as or came out really clearly with a very affirming statement. And then, yeah, the news about her niece and everything. So she's, although I had, I I think she was doing it even before then because um, there was a, at a concert I went to in twenty probably eighteen. Um, she had some of her merch. One of her songs, uh, the title is "Love Will Find a Way." And she had that on a shirt, but it with a pride rainbow. Um, and I was like, this is like really like blatantly obvious what's happening here with this piece of merch, y'all. Um, and so anyway, all that to say, we love Amy Grant. We stand Amy Grant. I've been, you know, I, she was my, she was my version of a diva because I wasn't lis- allowed to listen to anything other than uh, Christian music growing up. So... But I have not met her in person yet. I very much hope to. I've talked with enough people now uh, who are just in her sphere, um, some people on her team and that kind of stuff, to know that she knows I exist and she, you know she knows she knows what's happening. And um, all reports uh, seem to point to you know sh- she and her team like kind of just quietly, yeah, the thumbs up, the applause from the sidelines, and they're, you know, they're not mad. Um, 
which is good because that would be just absolutely mortifying. Uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of her fans are mad though, and like her her public Facebook fan page, I've come up in there a few times, and I not like I am just an observer. I've never actually commented on anything in there, but um, somebody else will like mention Flamey Grant in there, and the, and it will just start a whole firestorm of comments and. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of. It's a long-standing Amy Grant fan like, like tradition to be angry at Amy for oh, things. Yeah. Like, like yes. she, I mean. you know, she she's forever has had that in her, uh, in her. I remember was, my church being like, "Oh, throw away your your Amy Grant right? CDs." She was one of the first victims of that whole conservative boycott, cancel culture nonsense. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah. And she's still thriving and still going. So I hope I get to meet her one day. Um, you know, I, I I don't dare to dream of something as amazing as like a, a musical collaboration or anything like that. But um, Oh, I'm you know. dreaming it. I'm daring to dream it. <laughs> I, I, what it makes me think of is I, um, I don't know. So Kelly Clarkson was a huge fan of Reba for a long time. And then made it big on American Idol and I ended up seeing them play a show together where they sang each other's songs the whole show and it was phenomenal and I was like I wonder that has to be wild to like go from being a fan to then becoming an artist to then sing doing a show with the person that was like your musical inspiration mm. I could totally see that happen I'm, I'm uh, yeah Megan's out here speaking it into the universe too. I know I was like I, th- not, <laughs> not to, to like, name it and claim it prophetic but <laughs> yeah I mean hey listen yeah. I, it's, it's hap, it's happening right now with me and, and Derek Webb. Derek Webb is another one who I grew up on and have, have long followed his career and loved, loved his, I would say he's one of the most influential songwriters for me in terms of, uh, you know, just mm. how I learned to write songs and songs I wanted to write like, so, and now I'm going on tour with him next year. So what's the name of the happen. tour? The end of days tour. <laughs> it's so I great. Love it. I awesome. love it. Well, I used to dance around in my basement to vinyl to age to age um on vinyl and so now i need to get that bible belt baby vinyl and maybe my daughters can dance around my apartment yes i love it yeah yeah well i megan do you have anything else i don't have anything else i could talk obviously we could have this conversation forever (laughs) yeah but no but we want to give you a chance to plug anything else that we haven't mentioned already so that our listeners can find know everywhere that they can find you and support your work. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is what we've talked about. It's the, the Kickstarter for the new record. And then, uh, tour, tour dates are all on my website, flamygrant.com. And, uh, the music is out there. I'm really easy to find. I'm the only flamey grant out there. You just have to make sure to type it right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the thank show. Thank y'all. I appreciate you having me. Yes. Thank you so much. We cannot wait to have you back. And I'm so excited to see you on tour and go fund that stretch goal so we can have drag camp. Yes. <laughs> Till next time. Awesome. Bye, y'all. All right. That was All amazing. Right. I love it. I, I'm, I'm happy every everybody we get to talk to on this show. I'm always like pinching myself, excited. Um, 
Blamey's just like, I've spent so much time in her music um, and in Bible Belt Baby over the last several months. It it just, I don't know, it was super cool and extra special um, to have that conversation. And I hope that listeners go and, and, you know, if you hadn't heard of Flamey already, I hope you go and just do as I have done and stream her record over and over again. Well, and I learned something because I was m- more associating her music with worship music. And now, as she explained it as like the CCM 90s vibe, I'm like, oh, that's why it hits my soul so much. Because there's a couple worship songs, but that that CCM 90s vibe is is what shaped me. <laughs> it It so has. And I don't think that we lean in to that aspect of Megan on this show enough. <laughs> that like, like, that is truly... Like, when I think, like, 90s, early 2000s CCM, I don't think people realize how, like, actually, like, how much you lived that and were so into that that music. I mean, okay, as I'll somebody who never what. got to go to Cornerstone, you were there. I, will, I was watching just going to say. Watching Burlap Cashmere. And we, I will I, dig up a picture, if I can find it, of me at Cornerstone with all my hair in braids, you know? I, like, it'll be great. I will try to dig this up, see if I can find it, and oh put it out when we're sharing this episode. But I, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you sign up for our event if you're interested, contentwarningevent.com. And um, Cortland, where can people find you? You can find me at Cortland Coffee all around the web, primarily on Instagram these days. I've been flirting with Twitter again. I've been getting back on there because I miss people. And so I've been tweeting. I took the little pin post I had down that was like, I will not be back here. And I've been posting some. So I'm on Twitter a little bit, um, but mostly Instagram and threads. So at I like Cortland how Coffee. you don't have a monogamous relationship with social media. <laughs> You're on all of them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's just like, I don't like having, and I'm like, I'm an ex-Christian, but like, give me that communion sometimes. Sometimes I'll go back. There you go. Sometimes there you go. I just, I just, I like returning and just dabbling once again in the old things that I've loved. Megan, yeah, where can people okay. find you? I'm at The Pursuing Life in all the places. And... Um, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash thereafterpod. And we just heard from one of our listeners in the last couple weeks, a really heartwarming email. And I just want to say thank you. And also just reach out. We can all, you can always email us hosts at thereafterpod.com. Let us know you're there. Let us know you're listening because we're in the business of building community and I don't like the word business there, but we, that's, we're that's in our the jam. business. That's our vibe, right? Out. So. <laughs> and so we want to do that. I'm, right. I'm, I'm here for it. I no other business. To... I want to be in that business versus the business I'm actually in. So, hell yeah. <laughs> I think we need to end. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's end. We're All in the right. business of ending. We'll see you guys next week on another episode of The Therapy Pod. Until next time.